This insert is brought to you by Radio K Pulpit 7 to 9 a.m. Please visit kpulpit.co.za. Voice of Change Time. Welcome to it. It's Lauren Jacobs on Radio K Pulpit. Welcome to the show, family. I hope that you have had a wonderful day. I hope that your week has been filled with good things and miracles and hope. And if not, my prayer today is that you will experience God's presence, His peace, His power, His utter, utter shalom in in different ways in your life. And I know that, you know, a lot of people are talking about the election results. Other people are just not phased about it, wherever you find yourself today. I pray that our hearts will be stirred up to know that the kingdom that we are part of, that the, you know, the God that we serve, his reign is eternal. Our Messiah, Jesus Christ, has a kingdom that cannot be shaken, not of this world, and it is eternal. We are citizens of that heavenly kingdom, and for that we can rejoice. You know, today I'm going to be welcoming someone very special onto the show, the very Reverend Michael Battle. And he is an incredible human being who has just released his latest book, about someone that South Africa really loves and someone that you know was around working right in the beginning days of the change of our nation even before the Archbishop Desmond Tutu. Now Michael has quite a, a deep story about his connection with the arch which we're going to touch on in the show today but let me tell you a little bit about Reverend Michael Battle first. He has a PhD, also obviously has a Masters of Divinity, you know, has was ordained a priest actually by the Archbishop Desmond Tutu himself back in 1993. He also has a Peace Battle Institute. It's his very own institute. He works on subjects of diversity, spirituality, prayer, race and reconciliation. And he has served as a pastor and spiritual director to hundreds of clergy and laity. He's also served as a chaplain to Archbishop Desmond Tutu, Congressman John Lewis, the House of Bishops, and in 2008, he was chaplain to the Lambeth Conference of Anglican Bishops. He's also served as vice president to the grandson of Mahatma Gandhi. And you know, him and his wife, Michael and his wife, were married by Archbishop Tutu. So he's walked quite a long road with the Arch and someone that we know that South Africans really do admire and look up to and and see him in different lights, you know, different ways that we see the Arch and different people's opinions about him. We know that we just celebrated his 90th birthday, which is quite incredible for anybody to get to the age of 90 is amazing. And so today, Michael's going to be talking to us about his latest book. And you know what? Like I say... It is a good time to reflect on what it means to really be someone that can effect change. I think there's so many of us that long for change in in South Africa. You know, um, just over the last week, I've seen a lot of people posting about hopefully change is coming. Hopefully change is here. Hopefully we can make a change. Let's make a change. And you know, as much as what we pray for that change and we try and work towards that change, sometimes it's not realized. And I think that that is part of of what I hope will inspire us this evening, that we will be able to really, really take away something. You know, as we talk about Archbishop Desmond Tutu's life, it might not just be about him, but it might be a story and a reflection that we can take for ourselves just a reflection on what kind of person we want to be and how we want to effect change and how we can allow our faith 
to lead what we do and to inspire us to make changes in this world. And I think that that is the challenge we can take with us. So with that, enjoy some music and Michael's with me after this. Michael, thank you so much for being with me today here on Voice of Change. It's so good to have you. And I'm so looking forward to this conversation that we're going to be having because I know we're going to be getting into your book. We're also going to be talking a little bit about your own journey, which I'm looking forward to hearing. And your, you know, just this incredible journey that you've also had with someone that South Africa loves. But before we get into that, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. I look forward to our conversation. And I know that you have quite an incredible kind of affinity with South Africa as well. I know that you say that your daughter's actually studying here. So, yeah, I know that it's it's probably quite cool to have you here on Radio K Pulpit speaking to fellow South Africans. So it's just really good to have you. And I know, you know, you are the author of 11 books, which is quite incredible, which is amazing. And your latest book is called Desmond Tutu a spiritual biography of South Africa's confessor, which is a very, very powerful statement, as well as this being really a powerful book, kind of this introduction to the spiritual life of Desmond Tutu, who we know, obviously, as the Arch. So tell us a little bit about your connection with him. You know, you know, why did you decide to do this book? What has your journey been like with him? You know, let us in on that a little bit. Sure, sure. So, Lauren, the way it started out was I was doing my Ph.D. at Duke University in the United States, um, and I was trying to figure out who to research and write my dissertation on. And I felt like I was inspired by God to write on the arch. Mm. Um, The academy where I was studying is a pretty high-powered um, institution that sort of prides itself mostly on sort of European discourse. Mm. Um, even though I was doing theology and ethics, um, they were giving me a hard time because they were saying uh, Tutu have a corpus of writing, they use these fancy terms, uh, body of work mm-hmm. um, that um, they wanted to judge me by. Yeah. Um, to see if they're gonna to see if they felt I was worthy to get my dissertation or not. <laughs> um, and uh, as I was going through that, I think it was revealed to them how ridiculous their criteria um, became because, of course, uh, the corpus, the body of work for the art, she did have books and he had a lot of articles. Um, but also just in the media, oh my goodness. Um, you know, even though the internet wasn't as powerful then, this was in 1992, 1993, um, still there was a whole lot you could gain on the Arch's life, his witness, um, his sermons and things like that. But uh, to make a long story short, um, the providence of the Holy Spirit had it such that the Arch was uh, on sabbatical, six hours away from me, he was mm. at a university called Emory and in Atlanta. I was in Durham, North Carolina, and I drove down with my hat in my hand uh, <laughs> to beg the arch to see if he would allow me to write this dissertation. Um, and the first thing he said to me was, let us pray. Mm. Mm-hmm. And when he said that to me, it just... Um, 
it just revealed to me that this wasn't simply academic work. This was a vocation. Um, I felt almost like a biblical writer um, being responsible with some profound truth that the world could benefit from. And so anyway, the arch allowed me to come over and, and I, I was I stayed in Kenilworth and I walked over to Bishop's Court and I would just I was just thinking I was just going to write on some of his works, you know, whatever mm-hmm. books that he had or maybe lectures. Um, but lo and behold, to make a long story short, he invited me to live at Bishop's Court in the residence of the Archbishop. Mm-hmm. And I de facto became his chaplain um, when when they were in an interim interim period needing a chaplain. The arch ended up ordaining me uh, an Anglican priest, and he's been a part of my family's rites of passage ever since 1993 till today. I just visited his um, mm. his birthday in Cape Town, um, mm. 90th birthday, October 7th, uh, just a, a week ago, a few weeks ago. Mm. And so anyway, to make a long story short, um, I was able to live with the Arch, and I was doing research, reading things that he wrote on the back of envelopes. and So that's how things got started. Um, and I think the baptism by fire that really helped me to, to bond with the Arch was um, when I first came over, it was the assassination of Chris Hani, mm-hmm. and I was able to be on a march with the Arch Um and it's just it put me in touch existentially with life and death, as I saw police, guns, dogs, uh, um, ca- uh, cannon fire. Um, and I, I think after that incident, I just I found myself uh, bonded also to the arch. So mm-hmm. it, it's just a wonderful, miraculous way that I, uh, a- I was able to stumble upon this work. Mm. That's absolutely incredible because really, you know, while you are explaining it, it's really, this is what we would say, you know, that divine time, you know, where God places you in that, that time that he has for you, you know, it's like that moment you met somebody in your life, the arch who you probably didn't even realize that you would have that, that walk and journey with him. And it's so profound just to hear this, you know, because, you know, obviously many South Africans, and not only South Africans, but the world in general, just knows about, you know, Desmond Tutu and, and knows, obviously knows he was the Nobel Peace Prize winner in the year that I was born. So that seems quite long ago. <laughs> but, you know, just knows all those things and the pictures we see and the times that you hear of him and stuff. But generally... Again, you know, generally in life, when we have people like that, maybe we see in the media a lot, you know, or you read their books or you hear about them, they become someone that is quite um, far removed from you, so to say, you know, even unapproachable in in, in an unapproachable way or, or, you know, it's like they're there and everybody else is just doing their thing and we don't really get access or, or insight into personal realities about them what we perceive is really just like okay that's that person and they just do in life 
But life is really happening all the time. And I think that life is happening to those people, whether it be people that are spiritual mentors or pastors or leaders, there's messiness that's happening in their lives as well. And there's real life happening. You're talking about, you know, the assassination of Chris Harney. I know that that was in 1993. And, you know, there's so much that someone like, you know, the Arch has been through and walked through. You know, we have the TRC, you know, and all of those things and bearing witness to that and seeing someone's life. And, and I think that, you know, that is something that I, that I wanted to say that how incredible was it that you've been able to kind of walk this journey with someone that a lot of us only know from far away, you know, and again, like I say, kind of see people in very much, okay, they there, we here, you know, that is quite an intense experience. And I think that that is so powerful. Was that part of what led you to write the book that you have just written now, you know, about the spiritual life of someone that many people may not ever know, but have yeah. really looked up to you? Yeah, I think you've got a lot of wisdom, Lauren, because um, first of all, a, a lot of, of the gifts and um, miracles that are in our own backyard we take for granted you know so you know you know I live in New York City and I, every day I'm walking out and I see a lot of international people around and I just take this city just for granted mm-hmm. I'm just trying to get from point A to point B and I think a second of all I think you really have good insight about the particular life of the arch um, one of the great inspirations for me was that he was just as profound behind the scenes um, as he is in public. And, you know, that's one of the greatest hallmarks of a, of a leader is to have integrity. Um, you're not just telling people what to do and then you're doing whatever you want to do. And that's what Jesus got angry at, that disconnect. Um, Jesus got angry at hypocrisy. Um, but when I when I looked behind the scenes and uh, was able to live with the arch and I saw him pray like five times a day, uh, I couldn't keep up with his prayer life. Um, and to see him practice what we say call in the Anglican tradition the Eucharist, mm-hmm. that is communion on a daily basis. When I saw him in spiritual direction, uh, walking over to be in spiritual direction. Um, when I saw his uh, his calendar for his sort of daily itinerary of things that he did mm-hmm. um, and, and meeting with so many different kinds of people from someone in poverty to presidents um, and how he made mm-hmm. sure that um, those who were often marginalized were on his schedule. So when when I looked behind the scenes and I saw this integrity of the arch and the wonderful sense of humor, by the way, that's a whole other thing. Um, to get to know him behind the scenes and to know that what you see in public is the same as what I'm seeing in his private life. So I, I, I think it's insightful that, you know, oftentimes we either um, we, we're not as observant for those that we're, we're close by or, mm-hmm. or doing things in our own backyard. But also we're often, especially as Christians, we, we're often disappointed with those who are leaders and, and public and, mm-hmm. and how smooth they are and how well they can preach or whatever. But behind the scenes, their life may be chaos 
Yeah. And it was just um, an epiphany for me to be able to see where here is a person who has the integrity both in public and in private. You know that that in itself, Michael, that you that you're saying there is actually even a challenge. I think for all of us, like a real challenge. I remember reading quite a few years ago a story of a guy who actually, you know, became a Christian, but he he said that you know his wife would he would go to church with his wife. I, I read the story many years ago, and it impacted me so deeply because I think it was you know it's something that I was challenged on. But he said he would go to church with his wife for such a long time, and he never ever wanted to you know convert. He never wanted to believe what she was saying, and and you know she always spoke so good about the pastor that was preaching, and he decided actually to follow this pastor around, and he did so for quite a long time without the pastor even knowing. He would just go to places, and he wanted to see if this person was who they appear to be you know what i mean it's easy to stand up on a stage for two hours on a sunday right and to be that smooth like you said you know to preach those things and get but who are you when people aren't looking we always say that but but it's 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 so true and in that story that i was reading it was a true story the guy said that this minister this pastor was exactly the same he the love that he had and how he walked the talk you know and he talked the walk and everything was just congruent and that brought this guy to faith and i think that that is very very powerful because often people yeah it's definitely a challenge especially for leaders especially for any kind of leadership i mean not just spiritual leadership for any kind of person that confesses faith it's such a challenge was it a challenge for you to actually write this book i'm thinking you know to write about someone's spiritual life we know you know that that in itself is quite a challenge was this a challenge for you to begin to write about the archer's spiritual life and his practices was it just something that you had observed so closely it was just so in your heart it just came out or was it something that you were challenged by yeah. Well, you know, Lauren, I think it's all of the above. I mean, I think the challenge was, you know, I really, um, I just I pursued what was in my heart and my experience of the arch. And mm. what the what they came out to be was, I, I make an argument in the book that he's a saint. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's, um, that argument, that, um, you know, a presupposition that I have is, um, it's, it's really conflictual within Christian theology, within our churches. You know, our Reformed churches, we don't really like the, that kind of terminology of somebody being a saint because the focus is on grace. Mm-hmm. Um, um, and also, most of us, because of our egalitarian society in which everyone is supposed to be equal, some people think, such a claim is not correct these days to call some people saints. Mm-hmm. And even in the traditions like the Roman Catholic Church, Eastern Orthodox, Anglican churches, in which the concepts of saints um, are practiced, you're not supposed to claim somebody's a saint while they're still living. Mm-hmm. So that that was a challenge because that's how I start the book. And that's the the, the main premise of the book is that I think he's a saint. And a lot of what I'm claiming as a saint is what I already told you in terms of the integrity of his private life and his public life, but mostly because of his his prayer life, of saying his prayers. 
Yeah, so I think that's a challenge. But I, I also think when you are so close to the material that you're writing and what the material is as a living person, that's mm. uh, that's a challenge and the person is living so at any <laughs> moment they can say well listen you're wrong you know that that's a vulnerable yes. position to be in so th- there were quite a few challenges writing this book but i really i i, I felt the the non-anxious presence of of god with me in terms of mm. writing this and and I just felt like uh, many generations hopefully can benefit from knowing, you know, here is someone who was a church leader that's a part of the solution. Yeah. Unfortunately, through, throughout much of our church history, many of our church leaders have been a part of the problem, mm-hmm. either creating schisms, splitting churches apart, mm-hmm. not really showing a good example of Christ uh, in the secular world. A lot of our leadership has been dysfunctional, but here is a leader that's captured the attention, not just of South Africa, but of the whole world. And so I felt like, you know, there was an obligation to get this right uh, mm. and to also let to let subsequent generations not even born know about this life. Mm. Mm. That is why I only write about dead people, like people that have passed on so that they can't judge me. <laughs> it is You're so smart. Smart, so smart. And they were dead like a thousand years ago. So you know that they really can't judge you and neither can their family. No, But it's so true what, you, what you're talking about because uh, that vulnerability and I love that what you shared, you know, I visited the Holocaust Museum in Cape Town um, on Sunday and the, while I was going through the exhibition, there was this picture of um, the leader of Hitler's evangelical church that he had in Germany during this time of World War Two, and yeah. it just struck me. And I was like looking at the picture of this man who was ordained, you know, for this huge evangelical church uh, that would just preach, I don't know what, during World War Two, while millions of people are being killed. And it's exactly what you're talking about. You know, many times there have been leaders that have been part of the problem. I mean, that's a, that's a big example of... It's, just craziness, yeah. right? But I, I, it struck me really deeply to see a picture and all these people in this church of this person who is ordained and he's put there by Hitler. And I was just thinking we have to be so careful, you know, we leaders that are part of the solution, part of what it means to be, you know, even reconciliation, reconciliation with God, reconciliation with man. It's It's part of what we should be hearing as well. But sometimes leaders don't live up to that and that is very difficult for people to deal with so i think it is just beautiful that you're bringing this reality to us to say here's someone who is a faith leader and they are part of the solution and and it can be an example to us you know and someone who has been part of the solution for many many decades not just now you know not just you know yeah. right now it was this whole time this time period that we know south africa has been through and is going through now and will continue to go through 
And we're going to take a really, really quick music break. And I don't want the listeners to go anywhere because Michael and I are going to continue after this. We've got so much to still talk about. And you know what? During our music break, I want you not to forget, if you've been on our Facebook page, to go on over. We are giving away a copy of Michael's book. And we really want you to be able to, you know, have a chance to win it. So go on over to the Facebook page quickly. Leave a comment or like or do something because after the show, we're going to announce the winner. But for now, don't get anywhere, enjoy the music, and we'll see you when we get back. You're with me, Lauren Jacobs, here on Voice of Change, and I'm joined by Michael Battle, and we're talking about his latest book about Desmond Tutu, The Arch, as we affectionately know him. And we also, you know, just been talking about the challenges, about, you know, everything that Michael's been writing, but also being so close. I love that, being so close to the subject that you're writing about. It's it's so profound and so special. And Michael, I know that you said earlier on in our interview that you and your family, you know, have been with the Arch for so many years and all those different rites of passage that you and your family have had with him. I know, I believe that he did your wedding and baptism of your yes. children. So really all yes. these different rites yes. of passages. And that's really, really special. Yes. And that's really, really cool as well. And I wanted to ask you, you know, reflecting on that, and obviously, you know, we don't want to give too much away. We want people to be able to read and experience your thoughts through the book. But I'd love to know from you, for your own personal life, your own personal journey, you know, spiritual journey specifically, how, are, is there one or two things that you observed in the artist's life that you really took on board for yourself that you've been trying to apply or that you have been applying to your life? Those profound spiritual lessons that you felt were just for you. Yeah, there's one in particular. Um, it was um, we were in morning prayer and um, someone came over to the arch while we were in morning prayer and then he signaled me to come over. And um, so we walked out into the parking lot and he asked me to drive. Um, and he's got a lot of faith to, to ask an American to let him drive uh, on the left side of the road. So as, as we were driving, uh, I was in the front seat um, and he was in the back seat as he was trying to get some writing done really quickly. As we started driving, he continued, he picked up where we left off in morning prayer. Hmm. And I don't know if, uh, how many of your listeners are Anglicans, but um, the Anglican tradition is your prayers are in the Book of Common Prayer. So it's a structured prayer. Hmm. And after a while, you know, a priest really should know how to know the responses and what comes hmm. next and so on. And he picked up where we left off in morning prayer, and he was expecting me as I was driving to also continue the prayer. And that, just that uh, anecdote um, taught, it, it really gave me insight into what, how um, the arch has affected my life. Um, and I realized something about the arch that, you know, the hardest thing for him is to say his prayers. Um, can you imagine the schedule that the Arch mm -hmm. had, especially mm -hmm. during those years of um, folks trying to prevent the, the real election in uh, 1994? Can you imagine that vulnerable state of being for South Africa as a nation state mm -hmm. and how important um, the arch was during that time and, and how much um, they relied on him to help give birth to 
you know, a peaceful transition. And not only that, of course, you already mentioned his chairing the Truth and Reconciliation Commission. And not just in South Africa, he was in demand the world. He was in demand in the world. Um, so so can you imagine having a schedule like like him and trying to say your prayers and trying to have a family and trying to have friends? And so that incident of being called out of prayer and he was still continuing his prayers just gave me this insight for me that I need to continue saying my prayers no matter how hard things are, no matter how bad my schedule is. Um, I need to say my prayers. And and the, the premise of the book also is that the power of the arch's life was not only sustained by him saying his prayers, um, it was the power that gave him the words to say at the right time, the, the way of disarming a crowd or disarming a dysfunctional leader. All of that came from his prayer life, the insights that he, he gained by being in sync with God. Because, um, mm. you know, when you say your prayers, you're just you're you're really just trying to be in sync yeah. with God, especially with God's will. When you say your prayers, you're practicing the presence of God. And that's what the arch really taught me. He, mm. he taught me that it takes work. And I know as Protestants and, and those of us who understand we're saved by grace, that that's true. But I, I know it might seem difficult that it takes work to pray. Yeah. Uh, it takes work consciousness. Mm -hmm. Maybe that's a better way of put it, mm. putting it. We have to be conscious of our need to pray. And that, that attention span needs to continue to be worked upon. Mm. I love that. And that is so powerful. It is absolutely true. And uh, there's a course that I teach on how to study your Bible. And people always say, well, I don't always feel like reading my Bible, you know, and I'm like, well, it takes a lot of work <laughs> to study your Bible. It's the same as it takes yeah. a lot of work to pray. It's a spiritual discipline. And uh, it's, yes. it's, it's not just based on, on that, mo on that feeling that sometimes comes or doesn't come. And I think that that's so beautiful. It's so profound as well. And I think that people don't realize, you know, uh, one of the people that I really admire in the world is, is Aung San Suu Kyi. And I don't think that a lot of people realize the role that the arch played in her release. You know, I mean, she was the lady of Burma, yeah. was imprisoned in her home for so many years, you know, so mistreated and just the incredible things that she went through. And, you know, Archbishop Desmond Tutu was so, was a key role in her being released and her you know what she's done for her country and you know we know that Burma's in a crisis at the moment but he was so pivotal in what was happening at that time and I think that people don't realize it wasn't just impacts that he has made in our own country it's impacts that have happened in the world as well and I think that that is so true that is is a big thing and I and I just love that it's it's such a beautiful high example of what it means to have faith and you said it it's about that faith affecting everything that we do and that's what it should be our relationship with God whether it be that we're working towards reconciliation or we're working towards restorative justice or we're working you know in abuse whatever we're working in it should be ultimately that faith and our walk with God that affects everything that we do it should lead what we do 
And I think that this is kind of what you're trying to share with us and that message that you're trying to get to us as well. And I'd love to know, you know, what was on your heart? What, what do you want people to take away when they read this book? What, what is kind of your hope or your feeling that you hope that a reader will get when they encounter these pages? Yeah, I think we've touched on some of them already. Say your prayers. Um, let this biography be a window into your own life of, of even though it's a struggle to say your prayers. Mm-hmm. Also, um, to have better self-esteem as a Christian, because oftentimes in the public square, um, our Christian uh, conflicts and cult- Christian culture wars um, make us look bad as we air our dirty laundry in public and we fight over all sorts of things, and it just shows the church as being divided. Where here is one of the only few church leaders, I think, that there is agreement, not just in the church circles, but also in secular circles, that here is a church leader that's a part of the solution. Mm-hmm. So that's another thing that I want um, us as Christians to have better self-esteem, that we still do. Um, even in the 21st century, we have Christian leaders who show the way and mm. uh, who show solutions, not the creation of problems. And I guess, the, you know, the last thing I'm hoping mm. that um, folks can take away from this book is that as a Christian leader, we need... Um, And what I mean by leader is that I'm not saying someone has to be ordained or Mm -hmm. has to be famous. I think um, being in discipleship, uh, Jesus is is trying to make all of us lead in some capacity with our gifts given Mm -hmm. to us. So that's what I mean by by, uh, Christian leadership, that I think all of us have some call to. I, I think the last thing is that we we have to be open to wherever God wants us mm. to go. And one of my favorite uh, sort of jokes is that if you want to make God laugh, tell God your plans. <laughs> and I think I think that's humorous yeah. because oftentimes we want to determine the direction. But if you look at the Arch's life, you know his best friends ended up being. Buddhist, um, mm. you know, the, His Holiness the Dalai Lama, for example. I think the way God works in the world is God is always trying to surprise the world with hope and joy mm. and most of all resurrection out of the ruts that we are in. So I'm hoping those who read the book can join in this um, freedom that the art shows of syncing His will with God's will. But but to know that when we do that, we'll we'll end up into places and and relationships that we never thought uh, we would be in. Mm. Well, amen. (laughs) We'll definitely end up being exactly where he wants us to be and not where we thought we would be. And I think that that that's what makes it beautiful, this walk with God. There's incredible, beautiful surprises that sometimes get to us. And, you know, Michael, I wanted to ask you very lastly, I am very passionate about women's history. And so, I, you know, one of, we always look at, at the arch and we always look at his life. But I think that he has such a formidable 
partner, such a formidable wife. You know, Leia Tutu is an incredible woman, but very much someone that is also so humble, does never wants to be out in the limelight, you know, and what, what, it, yeah. what was your impression of her and your experience, you know, because I'm sure that you had times with her um, and just, you know, seeing how their relationship was and how it has been for decades as well, which is such incredible testimony and to, to everybody of how marriage can be, you know, what was kind of your, in, you know, kind of sense of her as a person? Yeah, I you know, th- thanks for bringing that up. I I think I think Mama Leia is um a foundation for the arch to have been able to do so much of his traveling, um the freedom to be one for the many mm-hmm. because Mama Leia, you know, held down the fort for the family and her courage, you know, one, one of the things about the arch is that he's surprised that he's still alive. Can you imagine being the, the yeah. you know, the, the one of the, in the forefront of a spiritual battle against apartheid? Um, yeah. And being his chaplain, I received a lot of the threats on the phone. And, mm. and I just didn't, for Mama Leia to, to be in the midst of that and not try to move away from it but to to be a non-anxious presence with her family there that was that was an amazing gift um and i really see her virtue as uh, courage and i see another primary virtue that you already mentioned is her humility of um, really not trying to seek any limelight or, or or see any sort of competitive way of receiving attention She's just this wonderful person. And I, I certainly would not have been able to live with the arch unless uh, Mama Leia agreed to it. So yeah. I am so grateful to her for her graciousness. Um, <laughs> but I think for all of us in, in relationships, um, the gift that Mama Leia points to is that um, how is it that we can complement our partner and uh, she she was able to um, not only do that, but to be a strong woman with a, a powerful identity and not see herself in competition with someone like Archbishop Tutu. Mm-hmm. And she she supported him because of her own security and foundation in her own life. Mm. Well, maybe that's your next challenge to write her story <laughs> i'll look forward to yeah. that one <laughs> michael i want to you say, should write it oh <laughs> i received that <laughs> uh, yes. that's, it's it's so incredible you know because i always think you know there is there is so many men that we think about in just in, in church history okay i'm not even going to go into secular history but in church history that people always now want to know you know what about their wives you know you know people want to talk about them they want to know who they're married to and how did they you know yes. how did they respond and how were these women what did they feel and these women have such incredible stories of their own you know, such incredible legacies, rich legacies of their own. And we never get to really hear those stories, you know, often. I know that I did a talk a few years ago on women's history, and I know that they were saying that only, you know, 26% of of history books written 
are, are written about women. Seventy-four percent are written about men, and that's a so that's a big true. number. <laughs> so I was thinking this would yes. be the story. That would be incredible. Well, just look at the Bible. Just exactly. look at the, the discrepancy of, you know, the first apostles were women, and they mm. don't get the the credit that they deserve. Yeah. Exactly, exactly. And I was doing a study, you know, on women's words. And uh, there's a beautiful um, female priest that wrote a book about how many words women speak in the Bible. And it came up to 1.2%. So only 1.2% of our Bible is women's yes. words that they actually spoke. And that's a very small number. So we, we just look at that yeah. and we have to find those words and when they do speak to hear what they're actually saying. And I think it's so so true what you just said about women being apostles in those first churches and in that first time, but yet we don't hear about them. A conversation for another day, yeah. definitely. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but Michael. But you know, the word apostle, just the last word here. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the word apostle means those who are sent and you know, the angel and also the resurrected Christ sends the first person, and it's a woman, mm. um, to mm -hmm. proclaim the gospel. So, so the first real apostle was a woman. Exactly. So anyway. Yes, but this is what I love. I just want to keep going with this conversation. And, you know, we have the, <laughs> we have the apostle Jania mentioned in Romans 16 yeah. that, that uh, people don't often know about. And they're like, what? Like, she's there. Come on. Paul greets her, you know. So, yeah, this is so powerful. But, Michael, I want to say thank you so much for, for spending this time with me today. It's been so incredible just to talk to you. And, and thank you so much for your for your just incredible work that you're doing. And it, totally inspired by the fact that this is your 11th book and that is incredible in itself because it's hard writing a book but thank you for giving us this work thank you for sharing with us because there's so many things that when we read your book that we are going to take from it we're going to learn and I'm just really really inspired by our conversation today so thank you so much and my prayer is that God will just continue to bless you and continue to lead you and guide you with his still small voice to do everything that he's called you to do in this generation so thank you and thank you so much for being here thank you Lauren thank you for the blessing you just gave me and thank you for your good questions and your deep insight and blessings on your program may it reach many 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 people amen thank you so much michael take care i don't know about you but i always feel that you know from people that come into our lives and mentors we have or or pastors that we know or leaders and you know for me i've always found that people who have affected my life in a mentorship way or someone that i've had to learn from has actually never been a pastor or a leader in that way but it's been people who have walked through different realities in their lives and I know for all of us our mentors and people that we learn from or that we receive lessons from in our lives even in a non-mentorship way those people will maybe be people whose books we read or people whose messages we listen to or TED talks that we hear and these are people that really affect our lives and we take away things from them that deeply impact and empower and change us and again on the other side of that we could be that person we could be the person that affects someone else's life in that way and with that we have this great power to know that whatever we do in our lives and our walk with God and and our daily you know realities our daily lives that we live is affecting people and can affect people if it hasn't already 
and and I love how how Michael just shared, you know, just watching the arch and seeing the things that he do and how that you know impacted Michael's own walk in his own life. And I think that that's what it's all about. I think it really is about impacting other people with how we live, what we do, who we are, and specifically always about integrity. I think that integrity is a word we use often, but is not often seen. And I think that that is also part of what we can take away from today. Having integrity in our work, in our life, in our private and public spaces, where people see us, where people don't see us. To live and walk with integrity. We always talk about it, but may we live up to that challenge. And I'm so grateful to Michael for writing this book, for being a blessing on the show today and having spent that time with us and sharing with us. And I pray that you have taken something with you today. And if you, you know, haven't yet entered the giveaway, we are going to be announcing the winner very, very shortly. So go on over to our Facebook page and you will see who has won this beautiful book. If you haven't entered that giveaway, well, it's closed. So you know what? Next time, hopefully you will enter. Don't delay. Always get entering those giveaways. But if you've entered and you're excited, go on over to our Facebook page and we will be announcing the winner in a few short minutes. Take care and God bless. This insert was brought to you by Radio K Pulpit, 7 to 9 a.m. Please visit kpulpit.co.za.